How does Jesus define the Christian's identity? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or look for Confessing Jesus at our website, issuesetc.org. Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. Cannon needs to be locked down before innocent people start getting hurt. He's been asleep for 5,000 years. You find us a cell that can hold him, we'll take care of the rest. Who's on the team? I didn't bring a passport. We don't need passports. We're the Justice Society. We're here to negotiate your peaceful surrender. Heard about at least three killings this afternoon. I'm not peaceful. Nor do I surrender. Here we go. I kneel before no one. Some scenes from the movie Black Adam. Well, we have superhero movies. What about super anti-hero movies? We have superheroes who, well, they may kill robots and aliens and all kinds of other creatures. They don't kill human beings. Most of them don't. But what about a superhero or super anti-hero who does kill people? Lots of people. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll review the movie Black Adam with Pastor Ted Geese in the first half hour of the program. We'll go through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Greg Mayo, a consultant for support after abortion, joins us to talk about men and abortion. And then Dr. Donna Harrison in our Path to Lutheranism series will tell us about her path from Roman Catholicism and Eastern mysticism to the Lutheran confession. Joining us to review the movie Black Adam, Pastor Ted Geese. He has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Ted, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. The star of this film is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Obviously, tremendous fan appeal, but also a pretty powerful, charismatic figure himself. Well-liked. Very few, I don't know anybody who doesn't like The Rock. If he's not the lead in this film, how does it fare? Probably not as well. I mean, unless maybe it was, uh, I don't know, Tom Cruise or something. But, like, I mean, there are big charismatic movie stars that could pull this off. The one thing that Dwayne The Rock Johnson has going for him, Dwayne Johnson, I guess he's not really using the rock part anymore as much. One thing he's got going for him is he's like this massive hulk of a guy for for uh, especially still for his age, right? So this is maybe it would be harder. It would require additional uh, Hollywood tomfoolery to make Tom Cruise believable as Black Adam, the character of, of this film. But yeah, he brings a lot to this movie. And I think that it would be somewhat forgettable if it wasn't for him. Pierce Brosnan is also in it. People might remember him as James Bond. He plays a character named Dr. Fate. And he's fun to watch in this movie. But other than that, I mean, like, this movie's not replete with uh, 
actors that people would recognize. But everybody does a serviceable job. I just don't think it would be maybe as big a draw if it didn't have Dwayne Johnson in the title role. So this is a, is it safe to say, a really obscure character from the lesser of the two, in many people's opinion, comic book universes, the DC comic book universe. Who is Black Adam? Uh, those are fighting words. Some people really like DC better than Marvel. They kind of roll around back and forth as to which one is the more popular at any given time. It looks like maybe DC is about to kind of come out on top for the next little bit. I guess that remains to be seen, but Marvel seems to be tanking pretty hard at present. This character is maybe more obscure. He's been around since 1945. I had to do a little checking. At some point, you start to get into the characters that are not as big. People know Superman, they know Batman, they know Wonder Woman, The Flash. These are kind of, now we're starting to get into side-side characters. We did talk a while back about, there was a movie called Shazam from 2019. We did a review of that. And this is kind of very much connected and intertwined with that. So this character of Black Adam showed up in 1945 as a villain within that Shazam comic book. Now, Shazam, this is one of these weird things where the character's name is Captain Marvel, but this is DC. At the time, it was another completely different comic book company, but that comic book company eventually got bought out by DC and it became a DC character, but it wasn't Marvel. So this is Captain Marvel, Shazam, and the Marvel family, and this is a villain, Black Adam, that was a villain for that comic book originally. Over time, they kind of rehabilitated this character. Apparently, in the last 20 years, they've been working on turning Black Adam from a villain to like an anti-hero, and then maybe suggesting that he's going to be a hero hero. And at this point, as they introduce this character in the current DC Extended Universe films. He is, you know, that anti-hero, but maybe teetering again, like I was saying, towards being a, a hero-type character. So there are some challenges here. Part of it is just how do you make an, yet another superhero movie and come up with anything different, as you point out. But also, not only, we will talk about the plot line, but but also, a lot of these characters, you can get lost because they end up being similar to one another, even across the universes. A couple things with that. And you'll like that last bit I want to get to. So if I get lost in the way, just remind me of it here. But that whole thing where you start to get more and more and more characters and it gets more and more complicated and more and more, you're expected as an audience member to keep track of more and more details some people really dislike this. So my wife is one who doesn't like this. Like eventually she feels like she's going to go in to write a term paper and she's got to remember all of this stuff in order to enjoy the movie as it were, you know, and I was just talking to the office administrator here at our congregation and she just finds that to be kind of stressful at a point. She likes to have maybe like a standalone film. That's a drama where she doesn't have to remember a bunch of these other details from all over the place. So that becomes more and more of a problem, the more and more complex all of this this extended uh, kind of universe of stories. And then also it becomes a problem for the people making it because what happens is, is that they have to keep track of all those details too. 
And for the audience or the fans that are paying attention to all the details, it starts to get under their skin when the people making them don't seem to care about the details that they're asking the audience to care about. So when it comes to this particular movie, yeah, you've got a whole bunch of additional characters that show up in this movie, and they kind of show up in a way somewhat unannounced. One of the things that's in this film is the Justice Society of America, which is kind of like the B-strain superheroes in the DC universe. So people think of the Justice League, and the Justice League has Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, but now we're starting to get to like Hawkman and Dr. Fate and Cyclone and Adam Smasher. And just these, these are the guys that are in this movie or the, the characters that are in this movie. And uh, they do this movie where, and some people dislike all of these origin stories. And in a way, this movie is an origin story for the character of Black Adam. But the thing that some people dislike is all of these origin stories over and over and over again. It's just so much of it they kind of give you these characters almost like they've already had another movie and you're just expected to know who they are. So they just kind of show up and they're part of the story and they're sent to go and find Black Adam and either kill him or subdue him and capture him and bring him back. And this brings in another another character, which is this character of Amanda Waller, played by Viola Davis, who had already been introduced in films like The Suicide Squad. And she's kind of this... Machiavellian American government black ops secret agent government official that manages all of these various characters. And in the case of Suicide Squad, which is another DC product, they're villains that have been captured and kind of forced into doing work on the American government. This is all part of this big expanding story. Now, I did remember the the part that at the very end of your question was, you know, when these characters are all kind of sort of similar with each other, this also becomes a bit of a challenge. And I think that this is not a movie that does, it just doesn't deal with this, but there's a bunch of characters that are are pretty similar to each other. So for instance, in this movie, the character of Hawkman, who looks the way he sounds, is very much like the Marvel character Falcon, from the Marvel movies, or there's this character of Dr. Fate. And basically Dr. Fate is sort of like a mystical sorcerer type character, very much like Dr. Strange from the Marvel films. Only he has a, an alien helmet instead of the eye of Agamotto or whatever it is. And then there's this character of Cyclone, which is, she's very much like the character of Storm from the X-Men movies played by Halle Berry and this Alexandra ship. And then the character of Adam Smasher is very much like Ant-Man from the the Marvel movies, except Ant-Man gets small and he gets big and Adam Smasher just gets big. You know, the, there's a little tiny bit of differences here and there, but these are two companies. It's, it's almost like, I think the audience and like the, the listeners understand this. This is like Coke and Pepsi or like Ford and Chevrolet or something like Chevy and Ford make trucks. The trucks are similar in a lot of ways. Coke and Pepsi make pop. They're similar in a lot of ways. They're a little bit different. And DC and Marvel make comic book characters. And sometimes they have products that are similar in a lot of ways, but maybe a little bit different. So what about storylines? I just want to kind of tie this thread up, which is how many times can you tell 
uh, story where a superhero, in this case, a superhero and about a, a lot of ancillary superheroes have to save the day. This is another thing. It's like we've seen this kind of story before. So in this case, you have this individual shows up. They're powerful. They they might be a threat. They don't know if they're going to be a goodie or a baddie, basically. So this is a problem. So then a bunch of other superheroes have to show up and they have to try to like do something about it. But then a really bad problem shows up and then they all have to band together and fight the really bad thing. So what you find is like, for instance, even in the DC extended universe, Henry Cavell plays Superman when he first in the first of his films, which we talked about forever ago, he shows up and the military and everybody looks at him as a threat. But then at the end, he has to fight Zod and whatever. So then, and again, like uh, Justice versus, or is it uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice? It's like Batman trying to fight Superman. But then Lex Luthor's the problem, and they have to like join together and fight Doomsday with Wonder Woman, etc. These things happen over and over again. You also find in the Marvel movies, uh, a character like Thor shows up, and at first they all treat him like a danger, but then he becomes part of the Avengers. Or the Incredible Hulk is like, he's a danger, but then he becomes part of the Avengers. And then they, together, they end up fighting Thanos, who's a bigger, badder guy. So this is a a well-tread kind of story pattern. And here in this film, Black Adam is this uh, character who the same wizards that made the current Shazam character into Shazam and the whole Shazam family, the Captain Marvel stuff in that little bit, they made him into one, but this was 5,000 years ago. So then he was basically entombed for 5,000 years and at the right time in the right place when the people needed him, now he comes forth and he shows up. They consider him a big threat. He's all full of rage and anger and grief and they fight against him. The Justice Society comes in to try to stop him or kill him or capture him but in the end now they have to deal with this basically a a demonic devil of a character who's much worse and it's that same storyline over and over again and again as we do with these films we could have said beforehand there are going to be spoilers but this is the way this goes now some people find great comfort in having stories that are predictable they don't necessarily want to have something coming out of left field. So for somebody who likes predictable superhero stories and doesn't mind the fact that this is similar to other kind of stories in terms of storyline, then this is going to be great. But for anybody who's finding these storylines to be kind of tiresome, if you find it tiresome, this one might feel tiresome too. And worse, it might just kind of feel average or kind of mediocre in some ways. Like the special effects are really good for the most part, but it's kind of a, an average superhero film at this point. There are some things that kind of like will be enjoyable for certain audience members that see this and other ones won't like that. And maybe we can get more into that as we go through this, talking about this film. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest reviewing the movie Black Adam. When we come back, what is Black Adam's superpower? I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. Everybody in the neighborhood is dressing up to be there too. And we're gonna have a 
How does Jesus define the Christian's identity? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or look for Confessing Jesus at our website, issuesetc.org. Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc. Hi, this is Pastor Eric Lang of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Gresham, Oregon. One thing I've asked of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Mount Hood, Multnomah Falls, the Oregon coast. Oregon is beautiful, but nothing compares to the beauty of the Lord's house. If you are vacationing in the Portland area, please come join us at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Gresham, where the liturgy lives and God's people worship as one. For more information, go to wherethelitergylives.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back. We are reviewing the movie Black Adam with Pastor Ted Geese. He teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled The Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. So, Ted, what is Black Adam's superpower? Basically, these wizards kind of give him these these powers, and he shoots like lightning bolts, and he flies, and he's kind of indestructible. You can shoot bullets at him, and they just bounce off of him, and he says, you know, like, your magic is weak. Because he's 5,000 years out of time, essentially, he just looks at any technology that he sees in the modern world and sees it to be a kind of magic, but it doesn't really do much against him. He's kind of been infused with this material that is called Eternium. So, and this is another one of these kind of materials that show up in a lot of films that by itself, it doesn't really make, like they, they're, they're fine by themselves, like in from franchise to franchise and from um, film to film. But you start to get this sort of thing where it all kind of seems the same. So, Eternium may as well be Mithril from like the Lord of the Rings or Adamantium or Vibranium from Marvel or Unobtainium from Avatar or Beskar from Star Wars. It's just this kind of indestructible metal, rare metal that he's now been infused with this character of Black Adam. So on their own, these things are fine, but they start to get to be like 
I don't know, lazy contrivances in terms of story writing. Now, the challenge, of course, is is that if you're dealing with a character that's been around since 1945, it may be part of established canon. You just got to deal with it, right? But all of these characters have things like it, or maybe the reverse. So like Superman, you know, he has to deal with kryptonite as being his Achilles heel kind of thing. But this is all part of these superhero films. So this is where he gets it. And the reason he has this power is that there's an evil king 5,000 years ago. He's trying to get that same material to make a crown that's going to open, be a portal opening the gates of hell, basically. And there's an uprising because the people are forced enslaved to mine the Eternium. And uh, his son raises a resistance against this evil king, dies in the process, and... This this power should have gone to the more virtuous son, but actually goes to the grieving, rage-infilled father. By the end of the film, he's named Black Adam. At the beginning, he's got a more ancient-sounding name, but that that's uh, Teth Adam is earlier on. That's how he gets his powers, and now he's been reawakened, and he is in the modern world. I want you to go in a little more detail about... Uh, th- there are a couple of... There's a MacGuffin in this film that you'll need to explain what kind of a plot device that is and how it comes in very convenient for screenwriters sometimes. And mm. there's also these these materials that it seems like almost every universe has them. You mentioned before the these kinds of metals or something like that that also very conveniently play into plot lines. Yeah, so MacGuffin, like, you know, dear listener, you've heard of MacGuffins, you know what they are. Basically, this is a phrase that was coined along the way, but think of um, the Maltese Falcon. Well, the Maltese Falcon is the MacGuffin of the movie. It's the thing everybody wants. Everybody's trying to get the thing. Or in the original Star Wars film, uh, the uh, MacGuffin is the stolen data tapes of the Death Star that the rebels have and the empire are trying to get back and that the, they have to get to the right people so that the job of blowing up the death star can happen. Right? So the MacGuffin in this film is this crown, the crown of Sabak, which is Sabak is like this demonic character in the film. And uh, this crown is made of that material Eternium and uh, it's got an inscription in it and stuff like that. So you you get this character who is kind of like a like I don't know a Laura Croft kind of woman archaeologist who finds the crown, and then the the kind of the the switch on it is it's kind of maybe like that Star Wars kind of theme where they've got the crown and they got to make sure that the bad guys don't get the crown because if the bad guys get the crown, bad things are going to happen, and the bad thing that's going to happen is is that it's basically going to end up opening that portal to hell, right? Full of like demonic forces. That's what they need to have stopped. So they want to make sure that crown doesn't get into the wrong hands and the wrong hands happen to be the last surviving relative or descendant of that evil King from the beginning of the film. Given the fact that he starts out as a bad guy and ends as at least an ally of the good guys, is there a marked character arc for black Adam? No, not really. I mean, I think what happens is is they accept the fact that he is a pragmatically useful ally against a very bad other thing. The problem is, is he has, being 5,000 years apart from the present, 
he has a different viewpoint on justice and the way death works and the way whether or not you should kill somebody who's a, an opponent or an adversary or a villain. This justice society, they just want to incarcerate people and let the law take care of it. He has no compunctions about whether or not he should shoot somebody full of electricity until they explode or whatever the case might be. I guess in, in Quebec, it's rated G, it's PG in Canada. I think it's PG-13 in the United States. So there is a fair amount of like people who are blown up and killed. And whenever that happens in a film, then then the Christian has to start thinking about like the fifth commandment and whether or not it's the vocational responsibility of the one executing quote-unquote justice or not when it's happening. So because if it's if it's not the vocational responsibility of the character who's killing on behalf of others, then it's vengeance. Scripturally speaking, and for our life as Christians, we are not to seek vengeance or to avenge ourselves. This is the domain of God. We're to put those things into God's hands. So with a character like Black Adam, he's kind of like, you could kind of look at him as a flawed champion kind of character, maybe something in the vein of Samson from the Book of Judges. But again, Samson is actually there with the vocational responsibility of working out justice for the people. He could also maybe be somebody like Hans the Executioner from Master Hans from the Large Catechism in the Book of Concord, uh, written by Martin Luther, where his job is to execute people for the good of everyone in the community. That's his, his job. And whether he's a nice guy or not doesn't really make a difference, provided that he does his job well. But again, that's a job that is where he has the vocational responsibility to do that. And the question with this Black Adam character is, is that the case? And, and a lot of it, what drives him as a character is grief and loss over the death of his son. So that's, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can like have vengeance or meet out justice against all of this other stuff. So he's got some growing to do as an individual character, let's say, from a Christian vantage point, thinking about this film. We're getting a review of the movie Black Adam from Pastor Ted Geese. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to issues, etc. What do the scriptures say about eternal life, the promised comfort of heaven, near-death experiences, Christ, the center of our eternal life? These are some of the topics covered in the November edition of the Lutheran Witness magazine. You can receive an annual print and digital subscription to the Lutheran Witness for less than $20. Find out more at cph.org witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040, the Lutheran Witness magazine. When we return, we'll talk more about this vigilante superhero. Are you ready for war? Are you ready to stand firm in Christ against all odds? Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Yes, yes, you are ready because God has made you ready. Your hope is built on Jesus Christ and His righteousness. 
What can we learn from our Lutheran forefathers on how to face the challenges of a culture openly hostile to Christianity? Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, has written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled For Such a Time as This. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. You'll also find Pastor Will Whedon's article on the monthly Psalter, the free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the Master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life well lived. Truth, Freedom, Vocation, Concordia University, Chicago, cuchicago.edu. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christ Lutheran, Normal, Illinois. Faith Lutheran, Rogue River, Oregon. Gloria Day Lutheran, Escondido, California. Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer, Peekskill, New York. Lord of Life Lutheran, Chesterfield, Missouri. Redeemer Lutheran, Gresham, Oregon. St. John Lutheran, Fredonia, Wisconsin, St. Paul Lutheran, Hancock, Maryland, Trinity Lutheran, Millstadt, Illinois, and Zion Lutheran, Owego, New York. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. We are reviewing the movie Black Adam with Pastor Ted Geese. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Ted... We were talking before the break about this justice at the end of a gun or maybe at the end of a fist in the case of Black Adam. Why does the director want the audience to warm up to this vigilante superhero? Well, I mean, you get these kind of characters in Marvel, too, like the Punisher character is another character like this. And they walk this line between, you know, you know, what is the right thing to do and what is the right thing that needs being done and whether that person should be doing it or not. And I think this is something that's very interesting to this director. So he said so in, in interviews that he's done. This guy's name is uh, Jaime Collet Sierra and he, uh, Sarah, and he's a Spanish director. Some people might know him from other films he's made. He made a movie called House of Wax in 2005. Orphan in 2009. These are horror films, by the way. 
But recently he did a movie called The Shallows, which is also kind of a sort of a horror man versus nature kind of movie, 2016. But then he recently did for Disney a movie called Jungle Cruise, also starring Dwayne Johnson from 2021. He's interested in these kinds of characters. So he's interested in this character as well. And I think that his investigation of the moral ambiguity surrounding a character like this is his interest in it is why he wants you to be interested in it as well. What concerns, pastoral concerns, do you have about Christian viewing this film? Well, I mean, we have, this is another whole topic, but this film has a lot of, it fairly liberally throws around words like savior in connection to this character of Black Adam. He is talked about as a demigod or being a god. He's got all of these kind of powers like shooting lightning bolts and flying and all the rest of it indestructibility. He's also a millenarian type of character, which is to mean that he's kind of a, a messiah who's returned to deal with things in, in the world, the wickedness of men and, and all the rest of it. So there's ways in which, you know, if, if somebody's not paying attention, if, if you're just there and shut your brain off and just watch this, you're kind of being exposed to some ideas in which this character could be kind of like an antichrist character. Like when the disciples see Jesus ascend into heaven, they're told, you know, like he will return in the same way you saw him depart. So we as Christians are looking for the return of Christ. And this is a quote unquote God who returns to save these people. But he does so as not in a Christ-like way, let's say, and where it's ambiguous as to whether he even has the responsibility to do so. So that there's that, right? So that's one thing that it's running interference against what scripture teaches. Now that might seem like to some people, it's like, ah, oh, come on, it's just a comic book movie, but we get fed this diet or they would like to feed this diet to us like all the time. So pay attention to what they're trying to tell you or what they're trying to get across. The other thing that is particularly kind of odd and that Jungle Cruise movie that he had done, the same director in 2021, also had a bunch of weird, odd stuff in it when it comes to this. But there's all this kind of occult symbolism all over the place in this film from like particular kind of hand gestures that look like Illuminati triangle type shapes to, you know, like cursed items like uh, these esoteric, you know, as above, so below kind of weird stuff all over the place in this film. So why is it all there? This is something that as a Christian, you, you, you have to wonder every once in a while where you're watching these films. Is it there? Like, and without somebody definitively coming out and saying, this is why I put it in my movie, you're kind of left with speculation at best. Is it there because they're trying to signal to other people who believe the same thing? Is it there to taunt Christians? You know, because it's the esoteric and the occult is not something Christians are to involve themselves with. Is that why it's there? Why why is it there? Like why do you pepper that stuff all the way through your whole movie? Question mark, question mark, question mark. What doesn't require speculation and listen, like lightning bolts and levitation and all these kinds of things are like really wild things, but the film is all full of like magic and notions of sorcery and things like that. So 
what is it that you can be sure of? Like the Christian is told not to be involved, commanded not to be involved in the occult or magic. And you can find numerous examples of that all the way through scripture. In my review, I list out a whole bunch of scripture passages that are just like, don't be involved in this. This is not something that a person should be involved in. So this is the kind of movie that kids might end up seeing if they like comic book movies. There's adults that are going to see it. And these are just concerns, you know, also the idea that just in general, it kind of presents a kind of a nice picture of the idea that vengeance is, is acceptable. And it's, it's, but really this, this is not something the Christian wants to be engaged in either. These are just some pastoral thoughts for the viewer. If you end up seeing it with family members, or if, if it comes up in conversation, uh, you know, these are things that you could talk about with somebody or point out or build a conversation off of. So maybe this hopefully will give people a leg up on that conversation. Well, lastly, Ted, I think what a lot of our listeners are concerned about regarding movie going nowadays is, does this film preach a woke ideology? Is that the case with Black Adam? Mostly, no. I don't think, like, on the whole, like, most of the stuff that you normally find you don't run into in this film, which is very refreshing in a lot of ways. This would be one of the very positive elements of this film. There are real, actual relationships that are kind of normal. Like, there's a woman who isn't just, like, basically masculinized, that Adrian uh, Tomez character, who's the archaeologist. She's a mom, and she has a son, and... She has the concerns that a mother would have, and she's allowed to be feminine. She doesn't have to be overly masculine. These are kind of interesting things. Also, there's like just kind of a a nice possible like boyfriend-girlfriend kind of thing happening between some of the Justice Society characters, and it's not all full of identity politics. And also the character of Black Adam for all of his anti-hero kind of related stuff you know, he's very masculine and he's not upended by other characters in the film. So if you think back to like the last Dr. Strange movie, he kind of wasn't even the main character in his own film or like the TV show Loki or the Hawkeye TV show where these guys kind of get sidelined by other characters in the movie or TV show that has their name on it. That's not the case in this film, Black Adam. Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, and he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. You can read Pastor Geese's review of Black Adam at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Ted, thanks. Thank you. Up next, listener email and the issues, etc. Comment line, your questions, your comments, your criticism. Up next. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod needs faithful Lutheran laymen, commissioned ministers, and pastors to serve on its boards, commissions, and agencies. 
Nominations are open for the Boards of Regents at our Concordia Universities and Seminaries, the LCMS Board of Directors, the Office of National and International Mission, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, Concordia Publishing House, and the Commission on Theology and Church Relations. Learn more at issuesetc.org nominations. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod needs you. issuesetc.org nominations. The vast array of Christian denominations can seem overwhelming. Well, if you've ever wondered what other church bodies teach, the Lutheran Witness is here to help. In the October issue of the Lutheran Witness, we take up and study 11 other Christian denominations, a brief survey of their history, key teachings, confessional documents, and then compare that with Lutheran doctrine. Visit witness.lsms.org to learn more or visit cph.org witness to subscribe. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The schools division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy.